Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Move Forward Anyway podcast, featuring dream-accelerating inspiration. I'm Jeff Meyer, your host, author, entrepreneur, and coach. My goal with this podcast is to help you identify and clarify your own dream by taking wisdom from others' successes and challenges. If you're looking to take action on your dream, to make a difference doing something you love, but your fears are holding you back, then this podcast is for you. If you're interested in finding additional support, you can also check out my Dream Accelerator coaching program designed to help realize your full potential and reshape your future. As always, you can learn more about my Dream Accelerator program at jeffmeyer.org. Using my Dream Accelerating formula, heart-centered entrepreneurs can focus on their dream, name their fears, change their mindset, define their next, and move forward anyway. Welcome back, fellow dreamers. It's exciting to be with you again for another podcast to move forward anyway. And I am so excited to let you listen in on a, a reconnecting conversation with Someone that used to work on our team at the church, man, Tammy, what was that, 20 years ago? Yeah. A lot has happened since then in both our lives, and I am so grateful for uh, the time you're giving us today to share a little bit about your your heart, your uh, entrepreneurial ventures that you are about, and uh, without further ado, let me just say, Tammy, thank you for joining us. Why don't you take a moment just to introduce yourself uh, with whatever you're comfortable, however you're comfortable introducing yourself to the audience today. Okay, well, I'm uh, Tammy Fleming. And uh, as Jeff said, I I worked for him as an office manager many, many years ago, pulled a few pranks on him, actually. (laughs) Uh, Just to let you know, pastoral work is, is... can be a, a lot. So it's good to laugh every once in a while it, it's when true. it's appropriate. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, I, since then, um, that was 20 years ago when I had my first daughter, I uh, stepped away from that work and was home with her. Um, and she's going to be 20 in a few months or two months. Yep. <laughs> so time flies. Um, and I think I even babysat for your girls when they were super little. Yes, you did. And you, you allowed us to use um, a cabin up north for vacation that my kids still talk about. Oh, it's my folks cabin. Yeah. Yeah. They're very sweet about sharing with pastors. So um, anyway, uh, so I did that 20 years ago and uh, had two daughters, um, ended up getting divorced and, um, um, my husband and I shared custody. And because of that, um, when the girls were gone, it was a little too quiet at home. And so I started volunteering at, uh, St. Mary's hospital actually, uh, in the emergency room. And, uh, cause I, I'm a farm kid. I'm, uh, so I don't mind getting my hands dirty and, uh, uh, wanted to just do something practical to help other people. And one time, when I was in the uh, hospital uh, emergency room, um, the police had brought in someone and they put her on a gurney and soft cuffs and she was very physically ill and very mentally ill, um, having a psychotic break. And she's probably, well, she looked a lot older than she was, I'm sure, because that happens when people live outside, but she's probably around my mom's age and uh, she was crying out and talking to people I didn't see or didn't know. and. Um, uh, she uh, was wheeled into the room. And one of the things I would do um, when I was volunteering there is I'd go and uh, sit with people who came in alone so they could have, if they needed something before the doctor came in or just to kind of put their minds at ease so they weren't feeling vulnerable and by themselves or I'd entertain kids who came in with a parent or whatever, whatever was needed. And so they said, well, you don't have to go in there. And I was like, well, I'll go in there. That's okay. And I went in and I uh, was talking to her and she didn't make eye contact with me. I didn't think she really knew I was there. And I just said to her, you know, um, can I get you some, something to drink? Are you thirsty? Do you need a pillow? Are you warm enough? And she didn't respond. And I was just looking at this woman and she just, in that moment, my heart just broke for her because she was just so alone. Um, 
and and so sick and she had uh her face was very dirty you could see little streaks where the tears were coming down from her kind of crying out and um i just pulled out uh, the chair off the hook on the wall and sat next to her and i just prayed in my head i'm like god what can i this isn't right this just isn't right what can i do for this poor woman is there anything i can do for this woman god please help this woman and she turned and looked at me in that moment <laughs> and i was not praying out loud this was just in my head yeah. she turned and looked at me for the first time and said you got to tell god to help me i can't take this no more <laughs> and that was just like a spiritual swift kick to the head moment for me um i i just i could not i didn't want to ever see someone suffer like that again in my presence without doing something practical and i felt like that was that was God saying, hey, get off your butt and do something about this stuff. Messing around with this or that, just do something. You can do something. Something needs to be done. And so um, so the next day I Googled homelessness in Madison <laughs> and started kind of researching things and um, uh, found a Facebook group that was, this was back when Facebook was new, a uh, Facebook group that was going to go bring food down to people on State Street. And um, I joined that and they were, they all kind of assigned different things. And I signed up to bake cookies. I baked 13 dozen cookies the night before because <laughs> anything worth doing is worth overdoing, right? <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I had them all bagged up and ready to go in a bunch of ice cream pails. And, uh, and then everybody chickened out <laughs> on the Facebook page. And I'm like, well, I said I was going. I baked all these darn cookies. I'm going. So I made sandwiches and got some fruit and filled up a bunch of big shopping bags with things and parked like by Peace Park, which is on the 500 block of State Street, and started walking my heading my way up to the top of State Street. And I was just praying in my head, I'm like, God, whatever it is that I'm supposed to do, I feel like I'm supposed to do something please let me know what to do. Please um, just, I want to help someone in a practical way. Just after seeing that, yeah. just shortly before that, I just felt like so morally wrong. I wanted to do something for people who are suffering like that. And so, um, so I walked up there and I met a whole bunch of people behind the um, Veterans Museum and some of them were homeless veterans, ironically, um, mm. and just talked to them, shook hands, um, uh, started passing out food. And uh, I asked them, you know, is this a good time to come to bring food? And they said, yeah, actually, it's a really good time because uh, when I had gotten there, it was like when the farmer's market was clearing out. And so there were plenty of parking spaces, not so much foot traffic. And it was also a big gap between the meals that they could get anywhere free. Um, so, uh, I brought, I, I said, okay, well, I'll be here again next week. And I was there again. And I, I went every single Saturday from that point on for like seven years. And then we started, once the beacon opened, we started bringing food to the beacon that same day, um, to get those folks to come down to the beacon and get help. Um, so, uh, that's how Friends of the State Street family started. It wasn't intentional. It was a total God thing. Mm -hmm. I had, I'm a planner. I like to be a planner. I was an office manager yep. slash control freak. In a, very uh, good, in a very good one, by the way. <laughs> thanks. Uh, and I've been an executive assistant and, um, you know, so you're used to planning things out and not having surprises and being prepared for any situation that might come up and God really um, taught me a lot because I was a single mom living in a little apartment and I, I was somehow coming up with enough food to feed up to 200 people out of my little apartment kitchen, which was like a little hallway kitchen. Yeah. And, um, and I, there were times I would run out of money, but I felt like, I felt like God, I had to do it myself first before I asked anyone else to do it. You know, before I asked anyone to join me or help me, I had to be willing to commit myself to doing it and be faithful to it and, and see what happened. And it's like, I, I, uh, I always had a little bit of reserve. I always had my emergency fund, except 
once I broke an axle on my on my Jeep. And that just sucked every cent I had. And I am half stubborn Norwegian. So um, I would never ask for help out at that time. Uh, so I had like no money and it was getting, uh, it was Friday night. And I uh, remember driving home. I was working at MG&E as, a, as an executive assistant at that time. I drove home and I, I pivoted and went over to Blackhawk Church where I was attending. And they have this prayer room that's like a really tall, it's like you're inside of a steeple. There's four chairs. It's you know not a big room, but it's super tall and you can see all around. And I went over there and had an absolute screaming, crying fit at God. And just finally, I just had to let it go. And just I finally just said, well, this is your thing. You figured out at the end. Because I didn't want to cry in front of my kids, my girls and freak them out. They were still pretty little. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, I was trying to trying to keep it together. But I felt like I had promises people I'd be there every Saturday. And I couldn't be one more person who let them down because they're really starting to trust me and tell me their stories more. And the ministry was starting to grow. We started doing midnight runs and started doing other things, street outreach um, from that. And, uh, and I, uh, the next morning, uh, Saturday morning, I went down to get my mail and there was, a, I did not tell anybody that I had no money. And there was an envelope in my mailbox that was, had no address on it, just said on the front for your state street family on inside, there was like three $100 bills. And it was enough to get the food and and um, uh, do everything I needed to do. Uh, you know, I was just mostly doing sandwiches and chips and bananas and things like that at that time. But um, it was something for people and it was a way to connect with them. And yeah. so by connecting with them and being faithful and showing up week after week, people started to trust me with their stories. And I just hear these heartbreaking stories of trauma and abuse and violence and I mean, almost every person that I would hear a story of was close with someone who was, you know, killed by violence. And that's just not something I was that was normal to me or that I grew up with. Yeah. And so um, I just really started to learn more about trauma and how to help people who are, who are dealing with trauma. And um, we found that connecting with them in a practical way um, was the best thing that we could do is just giving them something that, that was practical that they needed being faithful, and then they begin to trust and open up to us. And from that, we're able to get so many people housed um, because a lot of the people who had, you know, um, some of the more extreme cases of mental illness or addiction would never walk into a social service agency and ask for help. No. They'd rather eat out of the garbage. And so we could bring the case managers to them and get them the help that way and get them into apartments. So, and God really blessed me through that. I mean, it was not easy. Oh my gosh, I really had to learn to trust him. Um, I have a friend uh, who's a pastor, Pastor um, Hope Bennett, and she was one of the people who helped start the ministry that I'm here at now. And she always says, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. <laughs> so, <laughs> if it's God's will, it's God's bill. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. And, being a single mom who had to pay the bills for her kids by herself and had to get things together. And I just felt, you know, I always felt that need to control that and like know where the money was going to always go. And um, boy, I really learned to just trust God and the right people would show up. The things that we needed would show up. I mean, there was even a time at MGME when I was working, someone brought me a brand new pair of little boys moon boots, you know, those moon boots that for winter boots, yeah. you know, and I didn't see a lot of children, especially in the wintertime outside. So I was like, well, thank you very much. And I put them in the back of my truck. And the next day I was at East Washington and Milwaukee street where there's a laundromat. And a lot of people would go in the laundromat and do some laundry that were homeless or living in their cars and hang out there. Cause it was warm, you know, and, uh, I went in there to check on people and there was a small woman who was just crying and her feet were bleeding and she had walked like from Shopco all the way there and, uh, and with leaky boots that weren't that didn't fit her right and her feet were just like hamburger and I was brought a medical kit in the back of my car or back of my truck and I brought it and I had some new socks and I just looked at those moon boots and I grabbed them just in case and 
they were exactly the right size for her. And like it's a like, glove, right? Just, yeah, that's just oh, like, she was man. like, even at the end, she was jumping up and down. She's like, oh, these are wonderful. I love these. And, you know, these are perfect. And I just said, well, hey, honey, those are obviously a gift from God for you because I never have things like this in the back of my car. And so, um, that was There's so uh, many we get those little winks from god you know like hey you're, you're yeah. doing what i want you to do yep. don't worry about it i'll take care of what you need i love no. that little winks from god i yeah that i am so moved by that story of how this started i you didn't start out with a dream to help those who are struggling struggling with homelessness you started out in a in a painful moment in your life mm -hmm. uh trying to give back to community and Eel. do something with the time mm -hmm. right? Uh, that was available to you because the kids weren't with you mm -hmm. um, because of the divorce, which you never planned on, you never wanted, but yeah. there it was. And you, you just started volunteering. And because of your compassionate heart, which you've always had, which God has put in you, you, you had compassion on a woman that has, that sparked a movement in Madison. It's a movement. Um, Friends of State Street Families continues, and it, it's a movement to to help people and to advocate for them. And it's become a a movement of positive change and influence in our city. And all because when you had the opportunity, when that nurse or whoever it was said, "Well, you don't have to go in there," mm -hmm. you went in there. And, and look what's happened as a result of that. That is just, I guess for the listener here is sometimes maybe you're listening and you don't even know what your dream is. You don't even know what difference you could make. One of the things you could do is just volunteer somewhere. Um, the other thing is I noticed in your story is all along the way you were asking, God, show me, show me what you want me to do. Show me the next step lead me to the people that I can help. And um, he did. And also crying out in frustration and in maybe even a little bit of anger, God can handle that. And it, it again, you submitted to him, you surrendered it, you said, it's yours. These are your people. Help me. <laughs> and he has he has done that. Um, what as you think about those seven years of volunteering and then the launching of the organization, Friends of State Street Family, what, what would be some of the top lessons you've learned about, um, and I'm gonna use this word, entrepreneurship, because what you did there is you started a movement of compassion. And I think most of the people listening to this podcast have a compassionate heart. They have a heart-centered dream. Mm -hmm. It's not just about making money. It's not just about becoming rich. It's not just about having the vacation home. Most of the dreams I help people with are with heart-centered entrepreneurs that want to make a difference. And they don't really know how to get started. They don't really know sometimes what the dream is. It's not crystal clear. What, what are the lessons you've learned that might help someone Who's sitting here listening today going i want to make a difference too like tammy has um i think the thing a lot of people have said to us i mean because it's still going and i've stepped down from leadership about oh three years ago because we had really great leaders that had been had had come up and um my heart in that ministry was more direct outreach i didn't want to go to meetings and do planning. That wasn't where my heart was. So I was happy to just kind of step back and let them handle all the money stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I think just, um, the thing that kept all of these volunteers that were from all different walks of life and different beliefs. And we had people from all different types of churches and synagogues. We even had a Buddhist temple come and want to serve. Um, and, uh, just different organizations and uh it was just as long as it was all about the people we just kept it about the mission and helping people who are suffering and um i didn't proselytize but i wore my cross 
so people kind of could get where I'm coming from. And, um, and people would ask me about it sometimes. And sometimes people would say, you're not going to make me pray first before you give me a sandwich. <laughs> no, no, I respect you. And I, you know, care about you. If that's something you ever want, I'm there for it. But if that's not what you're interested in, that's not what faith's about. You know, I just care about you and I want you to be okay. And, um, it's just like, you can see people kind of relax after that. And, um, I think what I've learned, first of all, trust God, because if you're doing what he wants you to do, he will show up. He will show up and he will make it work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have, you know, I, feel, I came from a place where I thought I had to know everything and be able to do everything by myself. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't ask for help because that would mean I couldn't do it. And that's not who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to work with our brothers and sisters because yeah. none of us can do all this alone. And we're yeah, you, you showed up with some pails of cookies. Yeah. Yeah. For a while, they were calling me the cookie lady. <laughs> the cookie lady. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I and then um, I, I kind of had two rules before we ever really got to be organized. You know, it was just people I would talk about what I was what the people that I would meet on Facebook without like necessarily outing their names just maybe their their street name or nickname and just how beautiful some how generous they were with like their last dollar or uh, how appreciative they would be and people would say oh I want my kids to experience that and so people started coming out that way and that's kind of how God had it unfold hmm. and uh, I think that um, the rules were because I thought well I want to make sure everybody serves people in a really kind and and um, in a kind way, because I've seen, and people have told me that it was different to eat what, when we would serve food, because in some places you'd get just like half a scoop and people would kind of look at you and they, you could tell they didn't want to be there. And, and uh, I did actually myself spend a weekend on State Street as a homeless person, just to kind of understand it better. I had somebody with me that would, you know, that's so why I was safe. I wasn't a fool about it, but I had five bucks my cell phone and a sleeping bag and backpack and was there from Friday night through Sunday night. And wow. I learned a lot about having to get help and how humiliating it can feel. And so we kind of ended up growing those, growing what we do around that and just get, doing things in a very respectful and humane way. And so when we served food on, on State Street, I, the rules were treat everybody like you're, you're welcome, welcoming a family member into your own home. And if you don't want to be there, don't be there <laughs> because people can feel that. And yeah. so, and then we would just never stay on one side of the table. You know, we would, you know, there were always people in walkers and wheelchairs and people with lots of little kids and so, so we would have people that kind of were designated to run around the other side and, and carry plates for them and help them load up the plates and carry things or somebody was too intoxicated I'd help them go sit down and, and I just said what do you want I'll make you a plate I'll bring it to you, you know, and, and just and then sit with them and eat with them and talk to them just have a real conversation and then we started. Um, then one, one uh, day I was asking a man if he, he wanted a sandwich and he was kind of, I had two friends with me that had never done outreach before and they were a little intimidated. He looked really tough, big, tall, weathered, older African-American man that had obviously been outside for a long time. And he had just a very, you know, uh, the look on his face wasn't like, Hey, come on over. You know, but I just, I said, sir, can I bring you something to eat? Are you hungry at all? And, uh, and I, I just reached out my hand and said, I'm, I'm Tammy. What's your name? And he started weeping. This big, tough guy started mm -hmm. to cry. And I'm like, are you okay? Do you need something? Are you? And he's just said, thank you for seeing me. Yeah. Someone recognized his name. Someone <laughs> asked for his name, right? Yeah. you just treat i mean I, I why wouldn't you treat a person who's experiencing homelessness like any other person that you'd meet i don't understand that so um but he I, I i shook his hand and then i asked him if i could give him a hug and i gave him a hug and then from then on i started hugging people <laughs> when they come i'd stand at the front of the line i'm like do you need a hug today you know and i love doing it and there were some people who would just stand in line to get a hug because it's the only time 
all weekend and would touch them. Yeah. And just, yeah. you know, I would say, you know, I care about you. How are you doing, honey? We try to remember, you know, if we knew someone had a birthday, if they made a point to make a big deal about telling us we get a cupcake with a candle in it and meet them somewhere and bring them a happy birthday. And the girls and I would sing them happy birthday. <laughs> and it was such a, I still have guys who remember us doing that when the girls were little. Um, oh, yeah. But it was just about being present in the moment and um, and looking to, you know, showing people, hey, I see you, yeah. you know, and yeah. so and, and from that, um, I, I mean, I really felt when I was doing that, I mean, after every food run, I would be driving home because something really cool would have happened each time, you know, I'd be driving home and I would be so excited. I would just be so energized and jazzed up. And I'm like, this is what I'm meant to do. This is what God wants me to do. This is what I'm meant to do. This is what I'm born to do. I don't see, apparently people were telling me most people don't do that. And most people don't, you know, treat or see people who are experiencing homelessness the same as everybody else. And I, I'm like, that, that was a foreign concept to me that that would be the case. But obviously God made me this way for a reason. And so um, yeah. I, I was passionate about it. And from there, um, all of the friends of state street stuff grew, but it all grew organically through God stuff. I did not sit down and make a 10 year plan, yeah. you know, which is what I would have wanted to do. <laughs> but you did, but you did grow into understanding. We talk a lot about this in the dream accelerator that you grew into an understanding of your, who, who you were there to serve and who they were name by name, person by person, face by face. And you had compassion for your who, and you began to get clearer and clearer on your why, why you were there, what the calling was. And so that got solidified in you. And so then you started inviting, I'm just, I just took some notes down and what I'm learning by listening to you, trust God, know your who and your why. And, and then you asked, you, you asked for help. You asked, you invited people to participate with you on your dream. You didn't do it alone. It grew because you allowed other people, beginning with your daughters, but then you allowed others to come in and participate. Oh, yeah. And you made I simple you made simple rules mm -hmm. to allow people to um, serve the way that you needed them to serve to be a part of this movement. And you kept it simple. Um, so those are lessons I learned just listening to you. And that's that is. That's awesome. And if you're, so if you're listening to this podcast, um, it doesn't take long before you can start to understand your who and your why, and you can invite people to participate with you and use their gifts mm -hmm. and keep the engagement rules simple so that people can, they can actually come along and help you with what you're, what you're trying to do in the world. Yeah. Um, it's amazing when you're working in an area that God kind of gifted you in, all of a sudden, maybe for the first time ever, it's amazing. You'll find the people who also are attracted to doing that are your peeps. Yes. <laughs> like your people that, I mean, they get you then. I mean, cause I could go home and tell, and I love my family and my parents were all very close, but I, I could, before my mom and dad actually came out with me and saw me working in this element and saw this is, yeah, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, they were like worried, you know, this is dangerous. You're going out there by yourself or what are you doing? Do you have something, do you have pepper spray? You know, they were just yeah. worried about that stuff because their parents and parents worry. Uh, and I would tell them what I was doing. And it was just like, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and so I didn't really have people to talk to about it until all these folks who also had that same heart joined and, those are still my people, um, yeah. you know, yeah. that you just, uh, you just get each other. You just get it. It's not, it's not about me or anything. It's about just being able to do something real for someone in the moment when they really need something. Yeah. You know, providing you're, that. You, you have all along the way, you've had detractors. You've had people saying you shouldn't do this. Um, it's just going to keep the, I, I mean, I followed some of those conversations and, one of the things I noticed that you did very well to engage people and allow them entry points into the ministry is you posted on your Facebook group, you just shared stories and your passion 
your passion, you know, you talk about driving home after being down there serving and caring and eating and conversing and hearing stories, you would come, you came back home on cloud nine. You're like, this was so exciting. And you would post something on Facebook and you could, you could feel the excitement. So um, share your story, share the engagement with people, share the reality of your work and how it's impacting the who's that you're designed to, to help. And you started to attract all kinds of other people that wanted to serve alongside of you. Yeah. And uh, five years ago, something really cool happened. I mean, it wasn't all cool, but it, something really cool came out of it. I ended up actually um, having been diagnosed with early stage breast cancer and I'm fine now. I'm in remission. It's been five years. Everything's good. But when that happened and I had to go through treatment, I had to step back from doing outreach, which was my passion. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, and uh, um, I met with like the most faithful of the group of volunteers that was constantly. And I just let them know what was going on. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do anything for at least as many months because I I'm going to have compromised health and I'm going to be really tired. I don't know exactly how things are going to turn out. Can you guys step up? And that is when like friends of the Sage Tree family like quadrupled in size. Because a lot of times when you're the founder, I think people are afraid to step on your toes and, oh, you know what's best and this is your thing. And I'm like, it's not, it's not the Tammy show. <laughs> this, is, this is, you know, friends that we're, we're all are, you know, you don't have to have a PhD in social work to be able to help someone in a practical way that's experiencing homelessness. You know, you do something practical and you just listen. You ask them questions about what they're talking about and try to understand where they're coming from. And if there's something practical they need, be that person for them. I mean, I've been that person when people have had to go in to get surgery and listed as their emergency contact because they had no one. Yeah. You know, um, I've stood up in weddings for people. I'm godmother to a lot of babies. There were a lot of teenagers when I first was out there that would call me Mama T. And then when I was working at the Beacon later, years later, they'd br bring their families to see me and, and say, "Hey, Mama T, I finally got my act together." And I, you know, this is these are my this is my baby and my wife, and I want you to meet them. And and uh, it That's just awesome. was. It was, it was like, I was so blessed. Here I was when I was volunteering in the hospital and I'll be honest, I was bitter when I got divorced. I was really angry and felt sorry for myself. I mean, I was with my husband for 20 years and all of a sudden he's done and uh, felt like I was Miss Nice Girl in the divorce. And then afterwards I was like, well, he has all this and this and I've got nothing and I felt sorry for myself and I just started to kind of pull inward. And when that spiritual swift kick to the head happened, it was like all the energy, all of that, all of my stuff just kind of turned outward and like, here is someone with nothing, absolutely mm -hmm. nothing. You have a roof over your head. You are, your kids are okay. You're, they're healthy. You have a car that works most of the time. You know, you have a job, stop whining. You are fine. You know, and yeah. it just put everything into a much different perspective for me. And, you know, I, and I didn't like the person I was becoming. So it was really, I mean, I've been so blessed through this work. And I also, I met my husband, Cal. Yeah. He was a volunteer who came out um, and, uh, we became friends and, and started dating and, um, you know, he's just, he's just a, a wonderful, kind, caring, sweet, um, giving man. And he could, he, he understood my passion and he worked alongside me with it. Um, so it's hard work. It's hard work pursuing, um, a dream of helping people. Uh, but the, but the benefits coming back when you serve and when you, start something that is a heart-centered um, entrepreneurial venture. The, the blessing that comes back is surprising and, and um, amazing, right? I mean, you met your husband because uh, you took the step, the courageous step to bring those cookies down on a Saturday when no one else wanted to. Um, and now two years ago, you, you left that organization, but you're still involved with um, 
with that, but you are working with another organization that's making a difference in Madison, a, a nonprofit ministry called Shelter from the Storm Ministries. And you're yeah. leading that, you're leading that charge. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing with Shelter from the Storm? Yeah, uh, so Shelter from the Storm Ministries is just uh, uh, in some prairie just outside of Madison and it's a uh, uh, a transitional shelter for single moms with children under 18. And so right now we have 11 families living in the house that I'm sitting in right now, surprisingly quiet. <laughs> I was gonna say, wow, <laughs> they're all listening outside the door probably. Yeah. Usually you can hear babies crying or, you know, toddlers, you can hear little feet on the on the ceiling here uh, from above, upstairs. But um, uh, so we have right now 21 children. We've had up to 30 three, I think, in the house before at once, um, which was super fun during COVID when they were all stuck in their house and they're in yeah, their right. Room. Yeah. But it's a really it's a great place. It's um it's faith-based and it is um so you know I can I can talk about my faith and not you know be stepping out of what I'm supposed to be doing. It's what I'm supposed to be doing. And um we have designed some awesome programs for the moms here. So a lot of the moms who come here, they've they've come from living in their cars or doubled or tripled up or literally sleeping outside with their kids in a bus stop or a bus, you know, like one of the bus shelters or staying at uh, the, the overnight shelter, the emergency shelter, Salvation Army, and they get referred here. Um, um, most of them have, have experienced um, violence of some kind. Um, I learned through my work on, in street outreach that 91% of the women who experience homelessness have experienced sexual assault. So they're coming 91%. from a place. Of, yeah, wow. it's yeah, it's awful. And so they're coming from a place of extreme vulnerability and a lot of pain and a lot of um, trauma, a lot of trauma. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of people have let them down by the time that they've gotten to experience, you know, be actually homeless with their children. Um, so uh, uh, it's, a, it began just a lot like um, how Friends of the State Street family began. It, I met, as a matter of fact, praying about opening this shelter happened the exact same month that I started going out onto the street. <laughs> in 2011 um so uh wow. i feel like god was really moving and like put, pulling together because everyone the board is like tammy you've been anointed to do this and i um that's such an honor to hear someone say that but i do feel like i'm wow. where i'm supposed to be um because you know we as soon as i came we filled the house it was only running i think half full before then so we filled the house because I've seen too many people on the street and I'm like, nope, we're going to fill up. It might be a little tight, but we're going to do it because there's people outside who have nothing. So we're going to give them a chance to come in. And, and uh, you know, of course, there when you put a whole bunch of people in one place who have layer upon layer upon layer of trauma, there's going to be some adjustment period for people. And there's also going to be testing. People test us, you know, how you think about children testing their parents to see mm -hmm. they test us too to see are you going to kick us out you know are you, are really, you, gonna, you really you care about care? me yeah. yeah do you really care about me are you actually interested in what i have to say you know and so we've really um we brought in a trauma therapist um and she comes and works with the moms and the kids if they want it um to do play therapy or to do talk therapy with the moms um, to help them deal with that underlying trauma that brought them, uh, that caused their homelessness in the first place. So they don't continue to maybe make um, the same choices that might be self-sabotaging or, or, you know, might derail their progress. And then we also have someone we call an opportunity coach. Her name is Janelle. She's awesome. She is like the biggest cheerleader for people. She believes, she just, uh, as a matter of fact, we just got on our lanyards. Um, we believe that for the, that uh, for the most part, everyone is doing the best they can. And she's the person who always is like, even if somebody says something rude or messes up, 
she's like, I, I think their intention was good. I don't think that that's what they meant. And so she's really been uh, great about helping us um, see people in a different light. Um, and she uh, helps people go back to school and finish their high school diploma. There's, we have several HSED uh, people here, uh, helps get them get job training in MATC or at um, the YWCA's Empowerment Center or at Justine or at um, the Urban League to train for jobs that are more career type jobs instead of hourly like delivering pizza jobs um, where they make closer to $20 an hour and have benefits so that they have a, an, an ability to, to support their family. Um, so you've been at this for two years, roughly a little over two years. Yeah. I bet you're dreaming. Uh, you, you haven't stopped dreaming. What are you dreaming about um, now in the future for this organization that you're leading? What kind of dreams do you have to keep helping people and help more people? Because I know the way you work, you're never, you're never satisfied, right? There's always more people to help. So what are you dreaming about today? Um, well, we did. Uh, so I, before COVID, I had gotten a proposal approved through our board. I developed a business plan to start doing this thing called rapid rehousing. And it's something that's a very uh, popular model with uh, HUD nationwide. Uh, it's got a 90% success rate nationwide, which is huge. And it's where... Um, where you put a family, a family gets, uh, um, who's just recently become displaced and homeless. So they're not homeless for a real long time. Usually it, they're homeless because of a, like a gap in employment or an illness or a divorce or one of the partners is gone. It used to be a two household income place and they couldn't make it. And um, so you take those families who are displaced and as soon as you can, when they become homeless, uh, and, and you put them into an apartment, they have the lease, it's in their name, but we do the same services. So we have a case manager and our opportunity coach and our therapist will go in to their apartment and provide those same services. Meanwhile, um, we've gotten grant money from uh, the county to pay $7,000 towards that rent for the first year. Just wow. either part of the rent or maybe all of their rent when they're starting out till they get some job training and can make more money. And so it helps that $7,000 helps them while they get the things together they need to get together to be stabilized. And so it, it's like, and then once they don't need us anymore, we pull out our services and they have that apartment. And it's, it's so nice for especially young children because staying at a shelter, I mean, here they have their own place and their own door that locks in their own room, but there's, it's basically like a hotel suite where there's bunk beds, a kitchenette, and uh, they have their own bathroom. And the rooms are sizes from uh, one mom with an infant to a mom with seven kids. Um, so they're all in one big room so it's not ideal, you know, it's a temporary place. Uh, so um, so that at living in an apartment in the same neighborhood in the same school district that they're going to be is so much better for them. Yeah. And you don't have to acquire expensive property and maintain property um, to be able to serve more families. So we got uh, we just uh, are actually signing our contract paper um, this week um, for it. Uh, we got approved to do our first five families. Um, and so we, if by keeping it small like that, we don't have to increase our staffing because that's something we can kind of pull those families in without increasing our expenses. Wow. And, uh, I'm excited to see how that works out. And then also because of COVID, we started offering our opportunity coach, um, services to the general public out of the library here. And so if there are people who need job training, need their car fixed so they can keep their job, mm -hmm. need to get. Um, have some legal work taken care of. We, we got money from this community block grant, $35,000 to help pay for that. So, um, wow. so we're able to expand without actually expanding our premises, which is the biggest expense, of course, other, other than staffing, but we haven't had to expand our staffing yet either. So well, we're, we're squeezing the most, I'm squeezing the life out of every nickel I can. 
But um, I'm excited to see what God has because our constant prayer is give us wisdom and slam the door shut. You don't want us to walk through yeah. and open the ones wide that you do. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's us, uh, God, God, where it's God's will, it's it's God's bill too. Yeah, You're right. finding ways to expand. That's that's the other thing with entrepreneuring is like sometimes we give up. We think, well, that can't work. Uh, it's not going to work. There's always creative ways to expand that you'd probably never thought of before. Um, so yeah. as you have you, you're such a courageous lady. Now you would, you push back on that. I'm sure you would just tell people, I'm just an ordinary person that wants to make a difference. If I can do it, anybody else can do it knowing your heart. Um, someone's listening to this and they're going, wow, this, she's like superhuman. I could never do that. I want to, I want to just, peel away the the humanness a little bit and the superhero uh, tendency that people have at looking at someone like Tammy Fleming and going, oh, she's superhuman. I could never do that. And just tell people what are some of the fears that you've had to deal with through the years in pursuing this dream that you, that would show your, your mortality, your, um, I just, I, I, I try to help people understand that no entrepreneur is superhuman. No, yeah, I certainly am not. I'm just a normal person. I just, I think um, a lot of my fears were around money, first of all, mm -hmm. <laughs> because, you know, when you have to pay the bills yourself, that that's a thing. That's a real thing. Yeah. Um, and also, like, who do I think I am? I didn't have a master's degree in social work. Um, I wasn't really in, uh, for the, for a long time when I was, um, I actually worked at the beacon too, for the first two years to help them get going. That's a, the homeless day center downtown. And, uh, a lot of the time I was thinking, I haven't worked in social work here in the city. I, my only experience has been volunteer work and, uh, I felt like I wasn't qualified or I didn't know. You know, without a master's degree, it's not like I ha I know how to do therapy or I felt like I was unqualified in a lot of ways. But then hmm. I stopped. I let that go because so many people just really connected with me on a real level. Um, and I connected with them and I, I just decided it didn't I, I don't have to be doing social work in that role, especially during street outreach. I just have to be present and be one of the people. I mean, we call ourselves friends of the State Street family. The State Street family are people who are living on State Street who are homeless. And I wanted to be a true friend. And say case managers of the State Street family. It just was <laughs> friends. Fun. So, yes. And I and those there's so much that can be done when people finally trust you, especially people who have big walls up because they've been hurt a lot. Yeah. When you're somebody they find trustworthy. They will open up and they will share things with you that need to be shared so they can move forward. Yeah. Um, I think it was just about, pardon my French, letting shit go. <laughs> and yeah, just, and, you, uh, you, and yeah. you surrounded yourself with a team of people even now that have those skills, mm -hmm. right? And so as an entrepreneur, you don't have to do it all. No. Um, and it's going to take other gifts to surround you with to, to make it scale and expand. And you've done that. Now, switching the lane completely. And just, um, I just say, and I have fallen flat on my face many times doing this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I had the mayor of Madison screaming and swearing at me and being paid for. And probably fun. told that you, you should stay to yourself. You don't know what you're doing. You know, I'm sure that that came through loud and clear from some of our politicians as well. And um, and yet you showed, I, I watched some of that engagement and you yet you showed love, you stood your ground, but you still showed love and you were still compassionate towards the people that were telling you to stop, um, that it's not helping. Um, so you just kept taking one step after the other and so proud of you and so glad as, as hard as it was to have you leave our our ministry because you were such a a spark there's that word a spark of bright light um to see what you have done 
in the last 20 years is just, just phenomenal. Um, but lately with your husband, Cal, you have started a new business, a new venture um, yeah. called Flipping Flemings. <laughs> Those flipping Flemings. Those flipping Flemings. They're always getting their hands in stuff and making it better. Darn it. They're always making things more beautiful. Those flipping Flemings. Um, so talk to talk to the audience, the listeners about what flipping Flemings is. What the flip is flipping Flemings about? <laughs> it's, uh, well, gosh. Um, so Cal and I love to go, one of our things that we love to do together is like go to St. Vinny's and go to um, Habitat for Humanities uh, restores and go on Facebook marketplace and garage sales and junk stores, you know, and just look for furniture pieces that uh, need some love. Um, and people will actually just dump furniture off in our driveway they don't want to deal with. Yep. It's funny. All of a sudden there's furniture in my front porch. I'm like, oh, oh. okay. <laughs> I guess we're supposed to flip this. <laughs> but um, we started doing it because we had to furnish our, our apartment and then our, our house because we you know, don't have a ton of money to, for that kind of thing. Um, and uh, we love doing it together because he's trained as a, he worked, he, so Cal works at uh, Meritor Hospital in the labor and delivery department as a, um, a, a surgical tech. And I, you know, I'm doing social work and, uh, but I went to school uh, for social work, but also I have an art minor. <laughs> and so um, he was trained as a cabinet maker. I have an art minor. We love to fix furniture up. There's something really beautiful about taking something that people are about ready to throw in the dump and mm -hmm. making it beautiful again and um, being useful again. So um, we started doing things and trying to sell it a little bit here and there to see if anyone would be interested. And people got went a little crazy for our stuff at first. We, we made 40 pieces for the Madison Speedway sale two months ago, and we sold 36 in the first like three hours, 36 of the 40. Wow. So, so that was exciting and very uh, validating. Like, hey, maybe we could do this. Yeah. Um, so you tested it. You you went out and you actually tested some, and you found yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. There's and a market. There's a market for this. Yeah, and you know, even if, and you know, I I our philosophy was we have very little money put into this because we get this stuff for next to nothing, um, and. Uh, and it's really mainly our time, you know, that we're putting in. And it's it's also something that is very um, stress reducing for me to do that. To say I, my favorite thing to do, besides seeing a piece when it's done, is to sand back all the layers or strip back all the layers of junk on wood and just get down to the natural wood. And it's just so, something so satisfying about that. Yeah. And it's it's just beautiful, you know. And um, and if something's broken, Cal knows how to fix it, you know, and make it look, you know, make it functional and strong again, reinforce it. And um, it's just, uh, it's been something to kind of de-stress actually, because, you know, I hear a lot of really sad stuff sometimes and um, heartbreaking stuff. And you can't have little children come and sit on your lap in your office and, um, have moms that you see day after day for a year come in and cry and tell you these stories and that and not be affected by things that affect them because yeah. they're you know you, you care about them you love them and um so it gave me something to do that was completely unrelated to what I was doing in my volunteer work and in my in my um life and for work and uh, it also just was fun to kind of see people's reactions <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I guess I never really, um, one of the things I've always struggled with is just self-esteem and, and thinking I, I can do things. And I feel like at this point, in terms of some of the work that I'm doing with, with people who are homeless, I, I feel better, like I know more after 10 years, I, but there's still so much I need to learn. But um, 
doing this, doing the flip, furniture flipping. I mean, it's kind of like making a piece of art and putting it out there and waiting for people to critique it. Yeah. You know, like, oh, put my baby out there. Think it's ugly. Do I have bad taste or good taste? I always thought I had okay taste. I yeah. mean, uh, but you know, and, and my friends probably would just say something nice anyway. So you just, you know, when you put it out there, you, you get honest feedback. Yep. Um, people aren't shy to say things online. <laughs> so, um, but, and we were really uh, surprised that they were, I mean, pleasantly surprised that they were good. And, and Cal would really like to retire from working those 12 hour days, you know, yeah. standing on his feet all day. He's, he's uh, just turned 64. So next year he'd like to retire. And this is something that we can do together and he can, he can do more full-time or when he's, retired, you know, as he, as he wants to, instead of having all that have to. So what, you know, what passion do you have? Um, what skill set do you have that if you focused on it a little bit and tested it a little bit could be a source of income for you, mm -hmm. um, a source of livelihood for you? Um, sometimes we bury our skills under the, the, and bury our passions under the, the need to make a living doing something. Maybe we, would rather not do and and that's where dreams can come from too is um, looking at those skills and those passions that you have that maybe have been uh, languishing or buried and you, like the furniture you know you just strip it away and you go i really love this and you guys can do it together it's a it, it's a partnership which is also really cool um you, so maybe there's a a marriage uh listening to this and they're like what could we do together um, as we wrap this up, I want to ask you to speak directly to the, the listeners right now. What, what would you like to tell them? What advice would you like to give to them? Or word of encouragement is better than advice. Would you like to give them, for those who are sitting here thinking they've got a, they've got a heart-centered dream to help somebody in something they love to do and make a living doing it, and they're afraid or they're hesitant, or they think it's not going to work out, or who am I to try this? What would you like to say to them? Well, who you are is a child of God. And gosh, God has given each of us something, something to do to make the world better, something within us. And it's our job to find out what that is and just do it. Just do it. What's the worst thing that can happen? You've, you've helped somebody. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, there, there's, there's really no downside, just as long as you make uh, sound decisions in terms of safety and, and uh, practicality, and you have boundaries with your budgeting and your, and what you're able to do. Um, I, it, I think that you should try it and see if you feel completely energized afterwards, it's, that's your thing. That's what you're supposed to be doing. And, um, and just pray before you go out that God will open the doors wide if it's where he wants you to go and then he'll slam them shut if it's not. Yep. He doesn't want you to waste your time either. Yeah. I mean, God, God is a loving God and he, he loves you and you are his child. You're a child of the king. So don't let people tell you that you can't do it. Mm. You do not have to be wealthy or perfect or um, have a PhD to be able to do something really meaningful in the world or really meaningful in the life of another person. Yeah. Thank you, Tammy. Um, I want to give people an opportunity to connect with you, to find out more about what you're doing. How would they, how would they find out about flipping Flemings? How would they find out about uh, shelter from the storm or friends of state street family? Um, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. Well, um, those flipping Flemings, it's those flipping Flemings is on Facebook. We don't really have a website or anything because okay. we're pretty new. Um, there's actually a meeting with a store tomorrow that might be carrying our things in Madison. Nice. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. So again, another God thing. It's not something that I, we planned yeah. out. <laughs> um, and then, uh, uh, if you want to reach out to, uh, shelter from the storm ministries, uh, just it's it's www.sftsm shelter from the storm ministries.com 
or .org, I'm sorry. And, uh, and Friends of the State Street Family is actually www.friendsofthestatestreetfamily.org. Um, and you can plug into any of those ministries or just find out more about it. Um, there, there are practical ways that people can be involved in both of those ministries, um, if that's something that God's leading you to do. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking your lunchtime, um, I'm assuming, to talk with me and to share your story. Um, I hope that someone's encouraged today. And I'm so sorry that my phone keeps ringing. Um, I'm going to say goodbye before. I think it's my brother-in-law trying to get a hold of me. I need to just tell him not to call. Um, thank you so much for being on. And uh, it was so great to reconnect with you. Blessings on all that you're doing, Tammy. Thank you, Jeff. And much love to Amy and the girls. And the grandbabies. Yeah, the grandbabies. Four of them. It's amazing. Wow. That's great. Have an awesome day. You too. Bye. Hey, fellow dreamer. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, jeffmeyer.org, for all of the show notes and links. And when you're ready to move from overthinking about your dream to actually taking action on it, consider joining the Dream Accelerator community. Our clients are getting crystal clear on their dream with our Dream Generator Vivid Description 5-Step Process. They're discovering the truth about fear and how to use it as fuel to take courageous steps in the right direction. Most importantly, they are walking a clear path forward because they have made an investment in themselves to confidently realize their dreams. The results are so inspiring. Having coaching and companions on the dream journey is crucial. Remember, fear will come, fear will stay. Move forward anyway.